Good morning. morning. If you turn with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, I'd like to read three verses, uh, That's verse, starting with verse 22. This will be the, the cornerstone of what I'll be talking about this morning. The stone which the builders reque- rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We're going to go over now, and there are three portions of Scripture, each is a different story, actually, uh, that I'd like to go through in the New Testament. And these, uh, at least in two of them, this, this verse is used. And I'd like to sh- uh, talk a little bit about that. So let's go first to Luke chapter 20. Interesting, in Luke, between chapter 10 and chapter 20, the Lord is making his way to Jerusalem. In chapter 20, he's there. Chapter 19, halfway through, is where he enters the city uh, as uh, presenting himself publicly as the king. And uh, that's when people, uh, his own disciples, get him a colt to ride on. He's going to come in not on a war horse, but on a colt, a colt of a donkey, uh, a man of peace. He's going to come in, though, as a king because they're going to take off their clothes and lay them on the road for him. They're going to cut branches off the palm trees and and spread those before the colt. So he comes in as a triumphant king, even though he's only on a lowly donkey, the foal of a donkey. But while he's there now, and starting at verse, just read verse 1 first. Now as it happened on one of those, those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him. And what they're going to try to do is discredit him. Uh, And the first thing they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? I mean, you came into the the, the city as a triumphant king. What's your authority for that? Next thing he does, he goes up to the temple and he throws out the money changers. What authority do you have that? What's your authority? And they seek to discredit him with questions, and he refutes that. We're not going to dwell on his, on his reply. You can read that for yourself. Uh, he, he points to well, it was John the Baptist. Was uh, John the Baptist from uh, um, the baptism of John? Was it from heaven or from men? And they really don't answer. They're, they're dodging that, that profound question, because if they say it was from heaven, they'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? If they say it was from men, they're going to stone him because they all believed he was a prophet. Uh, so the next thing they're going to do is, well, they're, they're, they're angry with him. He's taken some of the uh, aura of uh, being a, 
leaders of the religious uh, of the religion. Uh, he's taking that aura and he's he's claiming to be the son of God, and they're going to try to discredit him. But he turns around and tells them a story. This is what we're going to start with this morning. Verse nine. Then he began to tell the people this parable, and I'm sure that they're standing there listening to this. Because they're, like I said, they're going to try to just, if we could catch him in his words, if we, somehow we could make him appear as to be saying something against the Romans, we have him captured, okay? We can do away with this fellow. But he tells them this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now, if you can picture the chief priests and the scribes and the elders listening to this, they're following right along. They know the Old Testament better than any of us know it. They knew in Isaiah uh, chapter 5 and verse 7 that the, the vineyard of the house of the Lord was the house of Israel. They know that. Okay, So this story, uh, they can relate to it right away, a vine dresser. So they know that the, the man who planted the vineyard was the Lord. They got that picture already. And he went to a far country and he, he leased it to vine dressers. And they knew... We are the vine dressers. Verse 10. Now at a vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant. And they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. One, two, three. They're all being thrown out of this vineyard, which was his, and all he's asking for is some of the fruit from this vineyard. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. Probably, perhaps, they will respect him. Undeserved grace, unexpected grace. I mean, the owner of the vineyard is going the extra mile to get fruit from this vineyard. But the vine dressers saw him. They reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. They were following right along with this story. They knew he was talking about them. And he, Jesus is telling them, God's going to take this vineyard, this, these people that he expected spiritual fruit from, and give it to someone else. And they, they could just see the, the, their ownership of this a vineyard, go, their leasing of this vineyard going, going away, okay? And they say, certainly not. That gives them away right there. Certainly not. Uh, they expected to be in charge of this vineyard forever. Then he looked at them. And this is the look of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked at them. And you notice other times in the New Testament, he looks at someone. And, you know, you just kind of wonder what that look was like. But he's looking at them, uh, and he says, what, does, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected 
has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So the servants came to gain the fruit to take it to the owner, and he likens the chief priests and the scribes and the elders uh, to those vine dressers. And the servants he identified, you used to see right away, those are the prophets. You read in Hebrews 11 what they did to the prophets. Here are some of the adjectives or verbs. They tortured them. They jeered them. They flogged them. They chained them. Put them in prison. Stoned them. Sawed them in two. Put to death by the sword. These men were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The author of Hebrews says the world was not worthy of them. That they were following, they were were there to gather fruit, okay? They were treated terribly. And so Jesus accuses the leaders of Israel, this is what you've done. The Lord's going to come and give this spiritual realm to someone else. Certainly not. The Lord quotes this verse from Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected. I take the builders to be these chief priests, the elders and the scribes. And they reject, they're rejecting a stone. The rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, continued throughout his ministry. Uh, It reached its climax at the cross, and that's really what I'm leading to, the ultimate rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll get to other parts of this, these verses in the Psalms a little bit later. But the important thing right now is how they rejected him. It reached its climax at the cross. They, they didn't believe him. Uh, they, were, they felt threatened. They were jealous of the attention he got. He was leading the crowds away. And they were jealous of the power they had over, uh, over Israel at this time, over the, those who were seeking the Lord. Now, if you go to Luke 23, and we're not going to go there. You don't have to go there because I'm just going to read it. But if you go to Luke 23, you kind of see the, the culmination of all this rejection um, the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, uh, Pilate gives them a choice, Barabbas or Jesus. And they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. They're being led by chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, the leaders of, the, the leaders of Israel. They're going to reject him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate tries to argue on behalf of Jesus, what, what has he done wrong? And they cry out even more. And so he, he, their shouts prevailed, and Jesus, Pilate surrenders Jesus to their will. He's on the cross, and the people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him. He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the, the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers mock him. He's being rejected now not only by the rulers, but also by the soldiers who are executing him. They offer him wine to drink. And they say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And even one of the criminals on the other, uh, one of the other two crosses uh, basically throws insults at him. They hurl, hurls insults at him. There's a significant change at noon, the three dark hours. We don't know what transpires during those hours, but 
It's during those hours Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from the words of my roaring? This was a, a, a psalm, a hymn uh, that he knew well because it speaks totally of him and what he was anticipating at the cross. There he was bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. The transformation that is taking place is that he's a stone who's rejected to one who's going to be a cornerstone of a church, of a group of those who will put their faith in him as their personal savior. A dramatic transition takes place on the cross at noon, between noon and three. He's paying the price for the sins of those who will, for the whole world, but especially for those who put their faith and trust in him. They can be assured of salvation because of what he is doing there at the cross. The sun stops shining. At the end, in Luke, he simply says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The centurion says, surely this was a righteous man. People beat their chests and go away. This is the, it's almost like a, the, the, the violence before that is, is unbelievable. The rejection will have nothing to do with this man. Then afterwards, there's tender hands that take him. We know uh, women stand at a distance watching these things. Joseph takes the body of Jesus down and lays it in a new tomb, treated so tenderly, okay, and the women leave, and they're going to prepare the body for proper burial uh, later. The day of the cross, one commentator has said this about Psalm 118, that verse, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I personally often take that on a bad day, and I say that psalm to myself. You know, in spite of everything, this is the day the Lord has made. But one commentator says that verse is really referring to the day of when Jesus was crucified. This is the day the Lord has made. The Lord was involved in uh, permitting them to take Jesus and nail him to the cross and there to have him suffer on our behalf. The Lord was behind all that. This is the day the Lord has made. What do we do? We will rejoice and be glad in it. It was necessary for our salvation that one, take, this, take our place. Otherwise, we would never be saved. We bear our own sins before a holy God. Jesus is also... In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14, there's a verse that goes like this. He will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So in one case, you have the leaders of Israel rejecting him. He's not going to be the king. On the other hand, he also becomes a stumbling block, okay? a stone of offense. Uh, a stumbling stone, some people call it, a stumbling stone. And, you know, that's true throughout his life also. They, people would stumble over him as he preached. Here's some examples. At the very beginning, he comes back to, uh, I guess it was Nazareth, and to, to preach. I think he was in Galilee. That's what it says in Galilee. And he says, isn't this Joseph's son? He's, he's only the son of a carpenter. He's not important. Uh, 
a stumbling block for some people. He didn't come from a noble family, so we really don't have to listen to him. He associated with the outcasts of society. If there was a harlot, he, he, would, he would talk to her. If there was a woman who had been many times but had no husband, uh, he'd talk to her. Um, Zacchaeus, we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, a tax collector. He would talk to him, and uh, he, Zacchaeus would repent, and his life would be changed. But Jesus dealt with the outcasts of society, people we would want to not want to be connected with. Yet these, Jesus himself was comfortable with these people. That's what amazes me. He was comfortable with them. And I know, I've told you this many times, I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees sometimes. You know, I think I'm just so, so perfect, so holy, and yet I look at the Lord Jesus Christ and there's no comparison. I want to be like him. We have to be like him. What's the, what's the gospel message if it isn't for people who are lost? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Some hated him even for his ethnicity. He was coming through Samaria. He said, don't stop here. Keep going. You're on your way to Jerusalem. So they, uh, they were stumbled because he was a Jew. Some thought that before God they could justify themselves. They didn't need a, uh, to find forgiveness with God. They didn't need a savior. They were just fine. They went to synagogue regularly. They donated money probably regularly. And if there were scales at the end of our lives where God would weigh the good against the bad, uh, they would obviously be good. That's the way they felt. They, don't, they didn't need, they were not lost. They were not sick. They didn't need a physician. They, so, what, you know, I don't need Jesus. That's their attitude. People are like that. He's a stumbling block because he came to seek and to save who? those who were lost. Some were in love with their possessions more than God. The rich young ruler comes to him. He says, what, good, good teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does he tell him? Well, this, 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 and this. Do these. Well, I have done those since my youth. Okay, well, sell all that you have and come follow me. A wonderful invitation. I mean, there's no invitation better than that, to come. The Lord invites him to come and be a follower of him, be a disciple. What an invitation he had. What does he do? He turns away sorrowfully. Because in his heart, what was there was a love for his possessions. And God might want those. And they were more important to him than an eternal life that he initially said that he wanted. His possessions were more important. What I have now is more important than what I might, than what I might gain after I die. That's the decision. And some people say, what I have now is more important. Jesus is a stumbling block. He did it by his example, right? How, much, how many possessions did Jesus have when he died? Nothing. They took his garment and they, they, they threw dice for it, okay? Uh, he had nothing. What an example. Do I have to follow that? And the chief priests and scribes and elders were jealous of the attention they selfishly wanted for themselves. Again, Isaiah 8 and 14. He will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap, 
and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For you and I, he's a sanctuary. I mean, he's a, to me, a picture of sanctuary is a safe place. I know politically today, some cities like San Francisco say, we're a sanctuary for illegal aliens. Well, uh, let's go back to the word sanctuary, a safe place. So if I, was a, if I was an illegal alien, that's where I'd go, right? I want to be in a safe place. Uh, I grew up in a church. Okay, I didn't grow up in, a, in an assembly. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, basically, where I spent, you know, as a child, going to Sunday school each Sunday. The sanctuary was a special place. It was quiet, like this place is. If you ever come in when no one's here, it's nice here. It's quiet. I like that. I'm used to that, okay? To me, that's a, a, a sanctuary is a safe place. And you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in a safe place. He will be a sanctuary, a place of safety. If you don't face storms now, and I'd be surprised if you didn't. Most of us do face storms in life, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later this morning. But there'll be a storm of judgment at the end of your life if you're outside of Christ. In Christ, we're in a safe place. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay, that's the transition. We go into eternity. We're in a safe place where everybody else is anticipating uh, the great white throne judgment and be judged in truth for the things we have done. Bad place to be. Judgment is coming. Then Jesus adds this when he was telling the story to the Pharisees, and the, not the Pharisees, but the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. He ends it by saying, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. He's warning of judgment. When that, when, 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 he's basically saying, if, if you don't trust me as your Savior, if I'm not the Lord of your life and the, your Savior at the end, you'll be judged for that, okay? Be ground to powder. The verse he initially quoted was, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So let's talk about cornerstones for a moment. Um, I never lived in a house that had a cornerstone, actually. <laughs> they don't use it too much. But if you have a mason... And, those of you, I'm surprised. We either have policemen or construction people in our, in our assembly here, usually one or the other, uh, or retired teachers. Uh, in construction, here's what a cornerstone was for. You place that first, okay, in a masonry, a masonry, uh, a, a masonry foundation, and that would be first, okay, and you want that to be a solid rock, and it's going to be where two walls come together in a corner. And the position of that is going to uh, uh, be the re a reference uh, for the rest of the structure. Whether it's angle, it's, uh, it's stability by its depth. Um, in, in a building back east, if you're laying this foundation, it would be under the ground. Uh, so only the builder would know the condition of that cornerstone. It's the first stone in, set in construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone. It can be deep and unseen by passerbys. As a result of these three hours on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. Of those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, uh, God has built a spiritual house 
So let's read about that in, in the next portion. It's in 1 Peter, of some beautiful verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. starting with verse 4. So it's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Again, there's that the same, you are getting to the same verse. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And you also, as living stones, are being built up as a, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. God is forming, a, a, you might say, well, here's the Jews. They have their temple. Uh, Peter's saying, God has created a spiritual temple. And the cornerstone of that spiritual temple is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a living stone. And we're going to be living blocks to fit into this living temple, okay, this spiritual temple. This, this spiritual uh, house uh, are, is made up of those of us who have trusted Christ as our personal Savior. And it, what he also assures us here in verse 5, you also as living stones, spiritual stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we don't have to go through a priest to get to the Lord Jesus Christ to get to God, okay? We go directly to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we have a, a relationship now with him. To us, he's precious. To God, he was precious. I think in verse 4, it says, coming to him as to, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So I would think if I were going to build a cathedral, if I was in construction and was going to build a cathedral, was going to make, make a notable uh, uh, cathedral, one that uh, would be famous, uh, I'd be very careful with the cornerstone. Uh, I, if I could get something that would be solid, rock, uh, even precious, I would use it because what? This is a cathedral for the Lord. And so God has took, taken someone who is precious to him, his only beloved son, and established him as the, he's chosen by God and precious. So God picks him to be the cornerstone of his spiritual temple. It'd be wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful to build a cathedral? I mean, I mean, just think about it. If you're in construction, what a privilege. 
you know? Or God's building a spiritual temple for us. And that's, that, that's his work. Uh, he, he's, he's picking stone here, stone here. I'm a stone, okay? I don't mind that. I'm a living stone. And he let him, let him build his church. Uh, I'll, I'll be a part of it. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I'm tired. I don't want the old life. I want to be a new, you know, I want to be a living stone for the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully you do too. So he's precious. Another verse here in verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. And one person has said, well, that's a real test of salvation. Is he precious to you? Oh, interesting question. Is he precious to you? Is he someone, um, uh, if you have an opportunity, are you willing to talk about him to someone else? Uh, do you speak well of him? Do your actions speak well of him? Is he precious to you? Is he of great value to you? Is your salvation of great value to you? If it is, is the person who brought it to you of great value to you? To those who believe, he is precious. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The last, so, so we have basically uh, what we've talked about so far is first, it was a stone that was rejected. Uh, and Jesus says this, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And then it's a stone of stumbling. And it's also now a cornerstone, okay, of, a, of something that God has built. He's brought us into it uh, because of his grace. The last thing is now, are we going to build on this stone? How are we going to do it? And so I thought we'd just go over for a few minutes and look at uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and starting with verse 46. Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, for the stream beat vehemently against that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, what I would like to share with you is this, this cornerstone is, the laying, is a foundation, and that foundation is... Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Then we have the teaching of the apostles, the, the, the doctrine, the, the foundation of the early disciples that they laid for us in God's word. Now, you and I will build on that, and the elders will build on that in the assembly, but you and I in our personal lives will build on it. And our choice is this, either we build on sand or we build on rock. 
Um, I was looking at some pictures last night, the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Sandy last year on the East Coast. And uh, in particular, in North Atlantic City, uh, they had a, a boardwalk, and then they have a couple casinos in the distance, but all the houses were washed away. The boardwalk was washed away. Okay, it's just sand, nothing's there. Why? No foundation. You go to New York City, which also got a brunt of that storm. All those skyscrapers, well, they're all built on rock, okay? I mean, that's, that's the reason New York can sustain all these skyscrapers, because it's solid rock, bedrock, uh, on Manhattan Island. Uh, that's why they have all those tall buildings. Uh, you build on rock, build on sand. What's the result? Well, a storm comes, and you know immediately whether your house is built on sand or built on rock. So the issue that Jesus is dealing with here, now, some people have likened this story to the three pigs, okay? Uh, you remember when you were kids, you read that book about the three, three little pigs and how they're, uh, uh, they're trying to escape the fox, and uh, one built this out of straw, somebody built it on somebody else, and something else, and the last guy built it on, what, brick, okay? So it was going to last. Uh, but the, the, the moral of that story was, be wise in how you build your house. Okay, and there's dangers. The story here is be wise on what foundation you build your house on. Okay, and that has to be uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be the center, the cornerstone of your life, and with the foundation of the apostles and their teaching uh, being the foundation, we have to build on it. So, uh, what what, Luke, uh, what Jesus is getting across here, it's one thing to, just to hear what I have to say to you, uh, to, to listen to my sayings. It's quite another to do what I'm telling you. Okay? And he says the wise man uh, who builds his house on the rock, yeah, he, he builds it here, but he doesn't just listen to it. He does it. And that's the big difference between the two. Uh, yeah, the point in our lives, we have to set our mind to that we're going to do what we hear, and that's a big change. Uh, a lot of us like to sit back and, and listen, okay? And, uh, yet the point is, are we gonna do what he tells us? That's being a wise person. It's insulting. What, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And he's like the man who, who builds his house on the rock. And uh, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a way to apply this is this, is that you're going to dig down and find this bedrock, okay, which is Christ. And that's what you're going to say. There's going to be a change in your life. You're going to say, I'm going to build my life on him. I'm going to yield my life to him. I'm going to take him as my savior and... Uh, I want to build my, he's going to be the cornerstone of my life. And I'm not going to be pushed around uh, by, by my flesh, so to speak, uh, the, the old life I was living. I want to live a, a new life built on that foundation. That's going to be the goal of my life. And you have to make that decision. Uh, that's a big change. And that's the result of taking Christ as your Savior and practically making him the Lord of your life. Then you're building your house on rock. So you dig deep. And what's interesting about these two houses is this. On this that the, you just look at them, they look identical. You can't tell what their foundation is, what they're built on. 
And you don't know what's the test of what they're built on. It's when a storm comes, okay, or, or streams beat vehemently against the house. Uh, that, that's the real test, what happens in a storm. Now, if you don't have any storms in your life, well, God bless you. Uh, you're, you're very unusual. Most of us wind up with a storm uh, occasionally in our lives, something that's bigger than us that we can't handle. Uh, and maybe you'll face that someday, but if you haven't any storms, don't expect to have any, you'll face them at the judgment seat of, uh, of God, at the great white throne judgment. You'll face the storm then that you'll say, boy, I wish I'd done something earlier. It's too late now. Uh, there's a time to repent and come to Christ, and that time is now if you don't know him as your personal Savior. But if you want to do lasting work in your life, you want to build on that foundation, okay? And make sure it's Christ. Um, several years ago, it was our, our, our privilege. In fact, we had a privilege again recently of having a, a, a series on marriage building in our house with some young couples. Uh, we did it a number of years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, actually, in the assembly. It was a long time ago. And at that time, this was a key verse in here. What are you going to build your marriage on? Uh, and the, the important point was that the husband and wife had to basically build their lives on Christ, not on the flesh. Uh, and they had to do it together. In other words, God is going to be the cornerstone of our, what? Our marriage. He's going to be the basis for our marriage. We want to seek, not only hear what he says, but do what he says. Okay, we want to show the fruits of the Spirit in our marriage, to each other and to others, okay, outside of our marriage. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those are going to be qualities to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to base it on this foundation, Christ, to the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to display to others, okay? We're going to build and do. Okay, build it on Christ and do it. And that's the basis for a godly marriage. Christ first as the foundation. Both parties, not just one, but both. And then you, you, you live out these qualities uh, to each other and to the, to, to the world that God present, brings before you. You, know, you could be friends, jobs, whatever. Your church. You could build it on the flesh. Okay, and that's like building your house on sand. Uh, what pleases me now? What makes me happy now? That's the alternative. And my encouragement to you is to build it on Christ. It'll last, okay? The storms will come. I'm only saying that facetiously. I know storms will come to your life. They've come to mine. They've come to a lot of people that I know. And there's people you get groan with. You can't say, there's nothing you can say uh, except to groan with them uh, through the trial they're facing. But you can display grace, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit towards them and encourage them. And uh, be, a, be a blessing to others, okay? Be useful to others. It's a privilege. So that's pretty much all I have to say this morning. Uh, but so we have a stone. For some, he was a stumbling. For, for some, they just rejected him. He's become the chief cornerstone because of that. Others are stumbling over him. Others have made him the cornerstone of their lives. And others are building on that cornerstone. That's great. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we've uh, come to this, this, this rock, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, we want to make him the foundation for our lives. We thank you, Father, that he became a cornerstone of the church when he gave his life for us at the cross and shed his blood. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. But he did it so that God could form a spiritual temple, as it were. And we're just living stones, part of that temple. Pray, Lord, that you just help each of us to know him better. And may he, uh, our love for him be evident. May he truly be precious to each of us. And now, Lord, as we go over to uh, share a meal together, we pray you'll bless the food. And, uh, Lord, we do thank you for each uh, family that has brought uh, part of the meal. Uh, give us good fellowship together. May we be an encouragement to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.